everybody. Welcome back to the T3 Sports Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Uh, my name is Tyler Mason. I'll let my co-host uh, give his name. Todd Quartermeyer here. That is accurate. I can confirm that. Uh, we are T3 Sports. Uh, if you haven't listened to us before, welcome. If you have uh, in the past, welcome back. Uh, it's been a little bit since our last podcast. Uh, we're now recording from our Hudson, Wisconsin studios. We have multiple studios, which uh, you know, n- not most podcasts do. Well, this is more of a media empire. Well, that's true. So, yeah, you got to... Got to stay mobile. Got to, you know, have multiple bureaus. It's just that's how the game is played. Yeah, it's it's 2016. We're not messing around here. I mean, this that's how the world is. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we're glad you joined us here. We're going to talk some Minnesota sports. Uh, we're going to start out with the Minnesota Twins, get into some Timberwolves discussion, also some Ryder Cup talk, and then as we do on every podcast, we do the T3 Top Three list where Todd and I give our top three uh, of any number of categories. We've done favorite beers, uh, favorite burger restaurants, any of that kind of stuff. Uh, tonight's top three, uh, we got on the topic of this just, I guess, earlier today or yesterday. We were mm-hmm. talking about concerts. Today's list is the top three concerts, I guess, would you say that you didn't go to that you wish you did is, is basically how you summed it up? Yeah, and like you know, concerts you could have conceivably gone to, right. not like Woodstock. You know, well, for right, example. right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. a realistic, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, like not con- like seeing Elvis and you know whatever. Exactly. But yeah, so realistic, you know, so a concert that we didn't get to go to that we would have liked to go to. So mm-hmm. that will be uh, in, in just a little bit here. But uh, let's start out with the Minnesota Twins, who are now dead and buried. Uh, they've been dead for I don't know several months <laughs> since May, maybe <laughs> April. Well, maybe. I mean, but they start off zero and nine. It's kind of <laughs> right. They are now buried officially. Uh, Fifty nine and one oh three was the record to. Uh, to end the season here 103 losses is a new f- uh, new team record i should say not a franchise record because they were the washington senators uh, i can't remember what i was the, gonna uh, ask that yeah i think the, um that the the senators at one point did yeah, a little the, bit worse off the top of my head here i, I can look it up unless you, you got, got it. it too uh, i think we're both on the same page here yes. on wonderful baseball yes, 113 losses is the franchise record back in 1904 uh by the senators 09 they lost 110 and then 1949 they lost 104 so there's some bad Senators teams. They also had a 102 loss team and a 101 loss team. Look why at did the, Why did Minnesota want that franchise? Well, look at that 1949 club. They still drew 770 thousand people. Which for yeah, for back then, that's mm-hmm. that's not bad. But uh, yeah, so the Twins finished with the worst record in Twins history, 103 losses. That's not something that I I, I certainly don't think either of us saw coming. Uh, no, we uh, we did our preseason predictions, and uh, I think I had it a little worse, but I, I certainly didn't have them on 100 losses. I think uh, I think you had them somewhere in the 75-ish wins, right? Yeah, I think I was like maybe 71 and 91, something like that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, obviously when everything goes wrong like it did this year it's you know it's not hard to get and they even had stretches where they played decently yeah you know, they played was, some uh, good baseball in july stretch yeah when they they were actually playing okay yeah but um just you know total system failure to paraphrase the the owner of the ball club <laughs> um that's how you end up with 103 losses and they yeah. won their last two yeah that's <laughs> the amazing thing they could have been a 105 loss team but they they wanted to prove the naysayers wrong and uh you know Hold strong. I remember that uh, was it 2011. I think it was right when they lost 99 games mm-hmm. and they won their last game of the year to avoid 100 losses and they celebrated like they just clinched a playoff spot. <laughs> you remember that? Yep. That yeah, very I, well. I want to say it was a walk off. I, I can't remember if it was. Maybe not. I can. I can. Uh, yeah. Well, it, if you want to pull that. it up, yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so just I not a good season. Right. I think I had them at somewhere in the 80, 85 ish win 
uh, total was my prediction. Um, I think I brought it up on this podcast before. My boss, before the season, wanted to bet me $1,000 that the Twins would win 91 or more games. And I stupidly <laughs> said, no, I will only bet $20 because my wife would have killed me if I made a $1,000 bet. Even if I would have won, I would, she wouldn't have not been happy. Mm-hmm. Plus, I mean, that's a lot. That's, that's a little rich for me. Yeah, $1,000 I mean, bet. That is a lot of money. Um, but, yeah, in hindsight. Definitely wish you'd uh, put a stack uh, down on that. Now my boss likes to say that he won $980, which, I mean, if you think <laughs> about it that way, he kind of did. Es- you know? In essence, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, so they were 61-99 and 99 going into the last two games of the year, and then they won, uh, and then uh, you're correct. It was a one nothing walk-off win. It was a walk-off. Uh-huh. Carl Pavano pitched, I think he pitched a complete game. He got the win, so he must have. Yep. Yeah, look, looking here at the box score Five from 2011. Hitter. Mm-hmm. Carl Pavano, yeah, nine, nine innings, five hits, three, three strikeouts. And the walk-off was uh, Trevor Plouffe, Trevor Plouffe, single to left, scored Denard Span. Uh, Denard Span played uh, played last night for the Giants. He certainly he's did. He's a little old now. He's got some gray hair. Why did they end the season on a Wednesday? Any idea why that was? That's a good question. I have no idea. That's bizarre. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Anyway. So anyway, we digress. Uh, but, you know, worth digging up some Twins history here. Uh, we're not going to regurgitate too much of what happened during the season. We've we've kind of been over that a little bit, uh, but we kind of want to look ahead to this off season now. Uh, what the Twins have to do? They do have the number one overall pick, but that of course isn't until June in the draft, and then whoever they take, whether it's a college kid or high school kid, won't be here for at least a couple of years. So you know, it's not like basketball where getting that number one pick can you know help turn them around next year. But going into this offseason, Todd, what's the biggest question mark that you think or the biggest the biggest concern or biggest need, however you want to phrase it, for this t- this Twins team? Wow, where to start? Um, I know. It's kind of a we, – we could spend a lot of time just on that question. You know, I, th- I think the way you get from, you know, like a regular bad, you know, like 90-loss team to a 103-loss team is, is when your pitching just doesn't give you a chance most nights. And yep. so – to even be in some ball games in 2017, they've got to have guys who at least can throw innings. I mean, they got to have at least one guy in the club who can throw six innings every time he's out there, even if they're not great. You know, uh, uh, Levon Hernandez type, somebody like that. Irvin Santana is kind of like that. I think they yeah. hope Hector Santiago can be somebody like he was that. He's kind of a disaster, though, for the most he part. Was awful. And uh, Ricky Nolasco, not that bad. And Alex yeah. Meyer starting now in the majors. Well, anyway. I missed I missed that. I kind of checked out the last month of the season. Yeah, so. I think he made like four starts. He wasn't okay. great, yeah. but um, I mean, he's healthy Still, and starting. Right, so, right. Um, so that's I think is job one, and I, I don't think that that's too controversial. I think they probably know that that they've got to get some guys both in the rotation and in the bullpen that you know can make some stops, mm-hmm. you know, just every once in a while. I mean, because this year it was every it's it seemed like every single game they were already done for and. Yep with this lineup the lineup's okay you know it can make some runs um but yeah that's that's got to be what you're focused on yeah i mean that's that was the obvious one that one of the ones i was gonna say you mentioned the bullpen a little bit i think that's i think that's almost big not bigger than the starting pitching but it's bigger than more people are are maybe giving credit for i mean look at some of the guys that they were rolling out in the bullpen buddy boshears you know uh let's see here uh ryan presley michael tonkin uh, you know, Pat Light, 15 mm-hmm. games in relief. Uh, just guys that are not the caliber of reliever on, on some of these teams. I was going to bring up the point uh, in the wild card, the National League wild card game last night. I'm sitting there, and the starting pitchers 
or Noah Syndergaard for the Mets and Madison Bumgarner for the for the Giants. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I texted you this or not. I'm thinking, look at the two guys that the tw- that these two teams have, and think about who the Twins would roll out for a one game playoff. <laughs> it would probably be Irvin Santana. Have to be. But after that, the drop off is just so dramatic. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. So I mean, it it takes some of these high end, you know, high caliber pitchers, starting pitchers, to be competitive. Mm-hmm. And it's. Um you know, you wonder how it's gotten to this point um, because they the team hasn't developed a starting pitcher in forever. Yeah, I mean, I guess Johan, but yeah, he wasn't even you know he's a Rule Five pick. It's not like they yeah. I, mean, really I was gonna say Liriano too, but he was a you know a guy that got in a trade, but he yep. was in the minors. You know, he debuted debuted with the. Oh, I, I take that back. I think he debuted with the Twins, right? I feel like he might have pitched a few innings with the Giants once, but. Um, I mean, he certainly was a highly touted, um, you know, young talent when when he arrived in Minnesota. Um, but yeah, so it's hard to pinpoint exactly, you know, what is going wrong here. How you, you know, have Tyler Duffy starting twenty six games uh. and he doesn't get, ever get anybody out. Right. You got Michael Tonkin. Michael Tonkin threw seventy one and two thirds innings this year, which is about seventy one and two thirds too many. Mm-hmm. And just because they don't have anyone else who can do the job. And so where do you start? Well, I mean, in terms of the bullpen, I I think there is some reinforcements on the way. It might take a little bit. We saw a little bit of JT Chagua. He pitched in, uh, let's see, 25 games, actually, more than I thought. Uh You know, he had some mixed results. But some of these guys that they drafted, uh, some of the other names off the top of my head are escaping me. But, you know, some of these hard-throwing pitchers that they drafted because they see – you know, teams like Kansas City and some of these other clubs that have these bullpens that are just unstoppable. Mm-hmm. You, know, you, you get your starter through six innings and you turn it over to your three studs and, and there you go, game over. But the Twins haven't had that in a long, long time. So, you know, the bullpen for me is a, is a huge thing. I also think uh, the catcher position is something that mm. is, is going to be a big glaring, um, I don't know if need is the right word, but, it, you know, by all accounts, Kurt Suzuki might not be back next year. Uh, you know, he's at the end of his contract. He wants to play for a, a contending team, and uh, given ev- everything we've just talked about, I don't think the Twins are going to be that team. So mm-hmm. if he goes elsewhere, who's going to be their starting catcher? Uh, is it going to be Juan Centeno? I mean, seriously. I think so. I mean, uh, unless you want to sign, uh, you know, if you want to maybe let him give it a shot and uh, sign another veteran in, in the offseason, just, you know, a defensive kind of guy, just to, you know, work with the pitching staff a little bit. Um I don't see how you can – I mean, not that it really matters because, like we said, they're not going to contend next year. Right. Um, if, if Kurt Suzuki wanted a spot back for the right price, I guess you might consider it, especially the way he sort of rebounded, you know, to hit right. adequately over the second half. Um, I mean, I think the John Ryan Murphy experiment has kind of <laughs> burned itself out. Oh, I, I don't really see him uh, contending for a starting spot anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, they, this organization has just lacked catching depth for a number of years. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Stuart Turner is a guy who they've been high on, but he's not an offensive catcher at all. He's you know he's pretty sound defensively, but he's not going to hit very much. And he's probably you know one of the closest things they have to a catching prospect at this point. And we saw Centeno or Centeno. I'm not 100 percent sure how to I pronounce it. I think they it. say Centeno. Centeno. It's uh-huh. almost like Santana. Yeah. So Juan Centeno, you know. Played in in fifty five games this year, so he got a you know he got a decent taste of of what it's like in the majors. But I don't know if he's a, an everyday kind of guy. Uh, you know, he's certainly not a you know a star catcher by any stretch of the imagination. But is he good enough to to take over the everyday role? I'm not sure. 
So Mitch Garver, who caught 60 games oh, sure. between AA and AAA, he hit 273, 42, 422, 74 RBI, which is situational, but um, I'm not sure. He's 25, so he, he could yeah. be a, a guy they might look at. Um, Brian Navarretto at uh, high A last year. How could we forget Brian? Yeah. Caught 70 games. And then uh, A.J. Murray between A and high A uh, caught 82 games. So those look like kind of your... Oh, there's Stuart Turner. There he is. Hit 239. Yeah, but he was a double A. I mean, yeah. You know? So, yeah, there's there's really nothing in the organization. And um, like you said, they just it's a position that has been Ever since disastrous Mauer moved since Mauer moved to first base. What if they had Wilson Ramos right about now? Huh? <laughs> right? Hey, he just got injured. He could be, They could pick him up in the bargain bin maybe. Yeah, I don't know what his contract status yeah. is. but um, I want to say he's up. He's due for a contract. I could be wrong about that. I, th- but. I think you're right because uh, I think people talked about how it was a career year. Right, or, right. Uh, uh, that's contract why the injury year. was such a big thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that you know, the catching position, I think we, we both agree, is a big one. Yep. You know, outfield, I'm not terribly concerned about. And they have Buxton and they got Kepler and, you know, fill in the blank in left field. Uh, the infield, you know, shortstop is always kind of a rotating, a revolving door and a little bit of a question mark. So that maybe be the only other area that I would say uh, would be a question. But other than that, uh, you know, they're pretty pretty set in at other mo- positions. Yeah, um, you got to figure out if you want to make a move with Brian Dozier. Um, yeah, and that, was, that was something I was going to bring up too. But yeah, so you know, it, d- it would depend on the on the return there obviously um i you know had a great year he's gonna be 30 years old next year though not sure what kind of return teams are willing to give for for brian Dozier. right and if it were me if i was the twins unless you know the giants call up and say hey we'll give you madison bumgarner for brian (laughs) dozier which they're not going to do because they're not stupid right unless you get a number one starting pitcher i don't think i trade him I what just, a, what I mean, about like a top prospect pitcher? Yeah, but even that, I mean, the, you know, they've gotten, they've made so many trades for prospects. Like uh, you, you mentioned Alex Meyer, they got burned on that. Trevor May, mm-hmm. that hasn't panned out when they've, when they've traded for these prospects uh, for whatever reason, you know, the majority of them haven't panned out in, in recent years. I don't know, unless you're getting some guy, somebody who's going to be able to step in at the major league level right now and help out. I don't do it. I mean, yeah, he's a 42 home run hitter or whatever it was, which is nice, but he's, He's kind of becoming a little bit of the face of this team now. I mean, Joe Maurer, from a performance standpoint, just isn't able to be that guy anymore. And I, I think, you know, Dozier, from a from a clubhouse standpoint, I think he's got the respect of pretty much everybody in that clubhouse. You know, his performance speaks for itself. Uh, you'd still like to see that batting average up a little bit, but you know, 268 for a 42 home run hitter. That's, I think you'll take that. Uh, you know, defensively, that's never been a question for him. So. Really, there's there's not a whole lot to, to knock on Brian Dozier. Um, you know, he's he's a great community guy. Probably probably the nicest player I've ever covered, to be honest. Uh, here, Jim Tomey would be you know in, in the competition for that top spot. But just a guy that I think you can kind of build around a little bit. You know, he is 29, so it's not like he's uh, you know a young uh, spring chicken by any means. But you know, I I don't know. I just unless you get blown away by an offer, I don't think you trade him. I tend to agree, um, and I was just looking at the games played here. I mean, he's the only guy who played over 135 games. Yeah, and, he and played it's been that way the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, like you said, fa- you know, face of the franchise, um, he's a guy you can uh, build around. He's a guy that seems to like playing here. Um, and so, you know, if you're going through a tough time, you, you kind of need to have a guy like that. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I don't think they're going to get overwhelmed on a trade offer. Um 
So I, I would probably hang on to him as well. Um, certainly would listen. But um, yeah, I'm not saying you don't even pick up the phone if right. other teams are calling. But I, you know, at this point, I mean, he was the he was the silver lining of this whole season for them, really. Mm-hmm. So do you really want to give up the one good thing you had going and just kind of start from scratch? I don't know. Yeah, uh, it'd be tough there. I mean, obviously they got guys who can uh, play that position, but um, I think if you, if you think that you're going to be back in contention within the useful portion of Brian Dozier's career, then go ahead and hang on to him. I don't know if they are, but... Yeah, I think at this point they're probably a couple years away from even being in that picture again. But, you know, there's been worse to first uh, examples before, including the Twins, uh, you know, many years ago when they won the World Series. But I don't know. I I just don't see it from this year to next, even, you know, being competitive in the American League Central. But uh, Mm -hmm. the guy who will be tasked with, with making all these decisions and more... This guy by the name of Derek Falvey, or Falvey, I guess I'm not. Uh, I haven't really heard his name said. So I've no, seen yeah. it in print, but uh, he's the new chief baseball officer of the Minnesota Twins. So uh, it's a new title, but it's I mean it's effectively the general manager. Uh, so the ro- the role that Terry Ryan held before he was uh, you know before he gave way to interim GM Rob Anthony. Uh, so Rob Anthony, it's kind of weird. Uh, Falvey is actually with the Cleveland Indians right now, so he's still with the Indians until their season is done. Uh, and Rob Anthony is the interim GM, so he's basically sitting around doing nothing and getting paid for it. You know, not a bad gig. But mm-hmm. Falvey, just 33 years old. Think yeah. about that. Mm-hmm. How much older than us? Yep, yeah, I was just thinking that. And he's <laughs> general manager of a baseball team. Yeah. So, um, what have we done with that? We got a podcast. Does well, he have a podcast? I don't. I don't probably think he does, not. So. Maybe he'd come on our podcast. Oh, there we go, mm-hmm. Derek. If you're listening, we'd love to have you on, chat, get to know you a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pour you a spotted cow. Yeah, we got some spotted cows. Uh, Tonight's podcast is brought to you by Spotted Cow. Not a paid endorsement, just a a, uh, personal endorsement. personal endorsement. Mm -hmm. But anyway, a little bit of his background. 33 years old. He was with the Indians for the last nine years. He was their assistant GM most recently. Uh, He was previously before that the director of baseball operations from 2011 to 2015. So... It's a guy that moved up the ladder pretty quickly here. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not all that I wasn't all that familiar with him before uh the Twins made this made this move, but you know, I I think this is kind of the move they need. They I'm glad they glad to see they went outside the organization for this first and foremost. I don't know if you I, I'm guessing you might agree with that. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, we I think we talked about that before just to inject some new life and a new perspective into this organization that you know, the guys like Terry Ryan and Rob Anthony, these lifetime guys who have been mm-hmm. in the organization forever. Dave St. Peter started as a club or not a clubhouse, a pro shop, you know, started working in the pro shop and uh, was an intern and worked his way up. And now he's, you know, got just about as much power in the organization as anybody. So it's an organization that likes to promote from within. And I think that's kind of caught up to them a little bit. And, you know, it's a little, uh, a little passe at this point. Yeah. Uh, I think that they're definitely, um, I don't even see how you could argue that um, the way that they've been doing things hasn't been working. You know, right. outside of last year, I mean, this is a, a multi-year problem. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I, I, it's, but you still, you know, this organization, like you said, values loyalty so much. It, even given all those failures, it still was, you know, something of a surprise to see them actually hire somebody from outside of the organization. Um, I think what they like in, in him is that he's also a loyal guy. You know, he's only been right. with the with the Indians. Um, and, you know, they've had some success. And the, the Twins looked at 
Um, it seems like they've looked at some of the ways that teams are going with how they structure their front offices, and they're trying to do a similar thing here. Um, the title's kind of unique. Um, yeah. I think there was only one Fancy other team sounding. that had a chief ba- somebody with the title of chief baseball officer. Um, but it looks like they're moving in the right direction. Um, obviously, he's a guy who hasn't done it before. Um, right. That's going to be a question mark. You know, as GMs go, he's pretty young, which is shouldn't disqualify him on his face. But um, and it's going to be interesting to see whether or not um, the the Polad family really meant what they said about Paul Molitor. Right. Um, whether that was just a in season sort of off the cuff vote of confidence or if that's a hard and fast rule that they said to everybody who interviewed you can do anything you want you can't touch the manager yeah and that was uh one of the other points i was gonna kind of segue into so that's perfect uh you know like you said uh jim pola did say that when uh i believe it was after terry ryan yeah after that change right so. from when they changed from terry ryan to rob anthony mm-hmm. so they you know like you said they they had said that paul Malder is safe next year do you believe that? Because uh, I, at this point, I I can't say that I I I think he will. Be, I'll say this: I think he will be the manager next year. But I do think that uh, Falvey will have the power to to make that change. I don't know if that makes any sense or not. But I still see Paul Molitor as a manager next year. If that if that answers the question. Yeah, I guess I I guess I see him uh, see him there too. Um, but I I'm a little more. I think sort of the conventional wisdom is starting to be. Like what you said, that he he does really have the power to do it. Right. I I think that that was serious, and I think with this team's loyalty, especially to a guy like Paul Molitor, who's from the Twin Cities right. and played for the ball club, I think that that was definitely something that came up in interviews with candidates that they really really insist on Paul Molitor being the manager. Yeah, and that's an interesting presents an interesting dynamic because then you have a guy coming in who's. First of all, he, not to mention the fact that he's, what, maybe 20 years younger than Paul Molitor, yeah, <laughs> if you think probably. about it that way. Uh, but then it's just an awkward situation because his hands are kind of tied in terms of what he can do. I just I don't like that mentality that this guy can come in and not do everything that he wants to do because if you're truly t- trying to turn this thing around and you bring this guy in for a reason, you know, let him run the show. Let him do what he thinks is best, and you know, obviously he'll have people around him to help make those decisions, but – you know, you, you got to give him free reign, don't you? I think so, and it's it's flat out. I'm not saying that he's necessarily going to be bad at his job, but somebody who would take a job under that condition is a different kind of candidate, right? Than is going to get, uh, you know, the Toronto job, the the Toronto guy. Right, I don't remember right. his name who supposedly turned down an interview with the Twins. Right. Speculating, but that could have been a reason. Right. No, that's a good point. But, uh, you know, I think he's going to have a, a pretty busy off season here. It'll start, I'm sure, after the uh, the playoffs are done and teams will start talking and all that stuff. you got the winter meetings and the GM meetings, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, Derek Falvey, uh, buckle up because you got a lot of work to do. It could be a bumpy road here going uh, early, in the early going, I should say. One more decision yeah. that he's got, Byung-Ho Park. That's how do you handle that? I mean, what do you is what do you do after one year though? I mean, you don't completely cut the cord, right? I guess not. I mean, I I think they they still have to ride that out a little bit and you know give them give them another shot. But that wow, what a disaster that turned out to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you don't want the you don't want to pay the guy three and a half million to be at Rochester, and that's not fair to the player either. Right. 
but we assume Trevor Plouffe is gone, so you let Sano have the everyday third base job. Yeah, I mean, that's, well, yeah, we didn't get into Plouffe. I I don't know. That's you might be right on that. It's it's gonna be a different looking team next year, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could have Plouffe gone. You could have Suzuki gone. Maybe Byungho Park's not there, but although he's only here for what sixty-two games this year, so it's not like he was, you know, really established himself with this right. organization. But I don't know. It's uh, looks. Well, I th- I think ideally you'd want Sano playing DH, wouldn't you? I mean, yeah, you can't play a position, right? Uh, but uh, I mean, I I I don't mind. I don't dislike him at third base as much as some people do. I don't know. He's got the arm. I know he's a big, bulky, lumbering guy, but I, I don't, I don't hate him at third base. I guess. Um, I mean, it's better than it's better than him in right field. Put it that well, way. Well, yes, yes. I'd rather have him pitching than playing right field. Well, yeah, <laughs> that's something they haven't explored. <laughs> um, I mean, errors obviously are not the end all, be all of judging someone's defense. But he was fifth in the American League in errors as a third baseman, and he played forty-two games there. Yeah, you do have a point. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I I think switching back and forth from third base to outfield to third base, I gotta think that had something to do with it. You know, he had True. some had some injury issues here and there too. So, if he had a full healthy season to play third base, I think he could do it. I think he would. It might be a little bumpy for a little bit, but I think he would slowly start to figure it out and you know kind of get that position down a little bit more. But I don't know. He hasn't really had a chance yet, at least not at this level. That's true. Yeah. I mean, you got to at least give him, you know, a chance to do it. Right. So. I think so. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll continue to monitor the Twins in the offseason, see what they do, what they don't do, uh, what what big-time free agents they might sign. That was sarcastic, by the way. <laughs> uh, thank you for the pity laugh. But anyway. Dropping a rim shot later. Yeah. So I don't know how much Twins talk we'll do between now and, uh, I don't know, March, but we'll we'll sprinkle it in here and there whenever it warrants itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to get to something a little more, I guess, a little more current. The Ryder Cup was just here in the Twin Cities last week at Hazeltine National Golf Club in Chaska, Minnesota, not too far from where Todd and I grew up in Eden Prairie. Both of us had the chance to get out there, Todd. I was out there on Friday, uh, and you were out there on Sunday for the final round. What what'd you think? Spectacular event. I mean, I've never been to a, a professional golf tournament of any kind, uh, so that was my first experience with that, and obviously first experience at the Ryder Cup. Um and you know, from from what I understand, it's you know very different than a, a standard golf tournament. Um, and it's, I mean, it's, judging from what I experienced, it's probably the only kind of golf tournament I want to go to because it was you know it was electric. The, the crowd was into it. Very um, happy Gilmore esque. Yeah, you know, a lot of noise you'd hear. Um, I told you, you know, you'd get chills. You know, hearing a, a roar come up from another hole and knowing that the U.S. just did something good. And um, people from you know, all over were there, um, and there's fewer, you know, fewer players, fewer matches going on, right. so you can really kind of, you know, keep track of what's going on and what hole, and um, yeah, it was just spectacular. Um, you know, it was great seeing all those great golfers up close and, you know, following the competition, and, you know, it, it kind of... You're kind of feeling it out throughout the day. You're watching the leaderboard, like, oh, we're, you know, we're up in four, oh, now we're only up in two, you know, so... Um, it was just really exciting and a really cool thing to be a part of. Yeah, I'll be honest. I knew virtually nothing about the Ryder Cup before this year. I I knew that it was the U.S. versus Europe, and I knew that there was some head-to-head play, but I didn't realize about the, like the four-ball stuff or any of that, like the Friday-Saturday kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So you were there on Sunday when it was just you know one American golfer versus one European golfer. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Much day that simpler. I was, yeah, the, yeah, that's easier to follow. The day that I was there, 
in the morning it was uh two u.s guys and two europeans in one group and the americans would pick the well i guess both teams pick who they want to tee off on the odd number holes and then the other guy tees off on the even holes and then they alternate shots after that mm-hmm. i had no idea it worked like that i had zero <laughs> idea it was like that but it was cool you know it's an interesting concept and then in the afternoon it was uh a four i think it was called four ball or whatever four it is. Ball. yeah yep. so you know the two guys on each team they play whoever's ball is the best score and then the best score of the two teams gets the point so you know, I, I learned a lot just from just from that part of it. But yeah, in terms of actually being there, I mean, it was it was spectacular. Like you said, uh, the course was absolutely pristine. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the grounds crew there did a just a phenomenal job to keep a golf course in Minnesota looking that good into October. I mean, that takes a lot of work. Mm-hmm. But you know, aside from that, just the the spectacle of it all. You know, like you said, the the cheering of the fans. Right, I stopped by the first tee box briefly in the morning, and people were singing "God Bless America" and waving the yeah. flags and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I think it was Saturday, so n- the day that neither of us were there, I was watching on TV, and fans. I think it was Spieth and whoever he was playing with. I can't recall. They're yeah. walking up the ninth fairway, and the crowd burst into the national anthem. Mm-hmm. And those two guys take their hats off yeah. and put them over their hearts as they're kind of walking up, and just a really cool atmosphere, you know. It, you have people wearing the American flag pants and shirts and European hats and all sorts of crazy get-ups. And uh, hearing all the European accents was pretty fun. That was cool. Yeah. Yeah. So just, yeah, just like you said, uh, you know, a, a unique event. Uh, you know, I was at Hazeltine for the 2002 PGA Championship, and this was nothing like that. I mean, at that, you know, there's always players on every hole, but then it's just a much more subdued crowd because, you know, it's golf. It's a gentleman's game nonsense all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. but yeah so the the atmosphere here was just uh unlike anything else and you know to, to have the home crowd i guess you could say for the u.s was pretty cool the one thing i will say it was is it makes it actually watching the golf a little bit tough I and mean, maybe not on on sunday because there's more matches going on but when i was there there's only any four holes at a time that were being played mm-hmm. so you know the crowds were eight to ten people deep or along the greens and on the you know tee boxes all that kind of stuff too so that was my only real grief, or my only real gripe, I should say, is that you know it was a little tough to actually watch some of the action, but still, uh, you know, an amazing event. Yeah, you, you kind of have to pick a way to go. You know, you have to either you know plant yourself at you know one of the keyholes in the morning right. and you know wait all day, or um, you have to kind of see you know as much action as you can, which is kind of what we did. Is right. you know tried to see like you know one hole here, then move to another one a little bit later because. As it goes on, you know, everyone starts to go to the later holes and people know that it's probably not going to come down to the last, you know, few matches. So people right. are trying to see, you know, the like the fourth, fifth, sixth matches when those wrap up because those are probably going to be the ones that decide it. So, yeah, there comes a point where you really can't see much more you right. know, if you stay in one place for too long. Um, but, yeah, that's just kind of the kind of the nature of it. Yeah, we had a couple different strategies. I was with uh, my dad and a couple other uh couple other guys and uh we camped out on the eighth green for maybe around uh, one or two groups and then we tried to move over to the 11th green and the 12th tee which i think you said you were in yep, that spot we too. too so it's kind of a cool spot because you can see the green and then if you look to the other direction you'll see the tee box so you can't see either one perfectly if you're right in the middle but uh we're also right by where the golfers walk by too so that was kind of cool um, and I had a couple other things I had to attend to while I was there. And while I was gone, my dad saw Wayne Gretzky. I don't know if I told you that. Yeah, you did. yeah. Mm-hmm. I was bummed I missed that, but yeah, just, uh, it was fun. Uh, you know, my, my company Airviews we flew drones at, uh, at Hazeltine for months leading up to the Ryder cup. So we were there about once a month up until 
maybe July. And then we did every couple weeks. And then, uh, in September we did every week. So to see it from, you know, what the course looks like with nothing there and then slowly progress and, and then be there for when everything is there, all the red banners, all that kind of stuff too. It was just, uh, it was, it was pretty surreal. Mm-hmm. Did I tell you I saw Marshall get pegged in the arm with a no, drive? Really? Yeah. We were standing on the fairway at hole number three and we ended up seeing a lot of the golfers. A bunch of them went into the sand trap. We were, we were standing oh, right really? next to, yeah. Uh, uh, one match, I don't remember who was it was. Was it a greenside bunker or a fairway bunker? No, it was fairway bunker. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. So everyone was sitting at left. Um, and there was there was one match, I think it was Ricky Fowler and whoever he played, they both ended up in there. So they oh, both really? hit out of there. Um, and so, yeah, they um, you know, they said, you know, heads up or, or whatever. And um, I looked up and the ball pegged this oh, wow. old guy right in the arm. Yeah, we, uh, we were on the, what was that, the ninth hole. We were kind of walking back from the green towards the tee box. And we came across this lady who was laying down on the ground and she was, she seemed to be okay. She wasn't crying or bleeding or anything like that, but she had got hit in the face with a Brant Snedeker ball, mm. hit her glasses. And so medical personnel was, was tending to her. And uh, so we kind of stayed in that area because the ball, Snedeker's ball rolled, you know, a little ways away from her, almost to the fence area or whatever it was. And so I wanted to be up close to watch him hit just because I thought that was kind of cool. But mm-hmm. I didn't see this happen, but uh, one of the guys we were with said, uh, Snedeker, you know, went up to the lady and apologized and assigned a ball for her and gave it to her. And she said, now go win this for me. So <laughs> nice. that's kind of cool. Yeah. But, yeah, it was uh, Thomas Peters who at this one, he went up and apologized oh, to the guy. And it's like, not your fault, man. Like, none of us should be here. <laughs> right. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if think of it, if we golfed, if you and I golfed with that <laughs> many people, like, I would be in jail for killing someone because, well, like on that whole twelve T box, you know, I was standing there and right. these drives are going, you know, like way over my head. But right? Yeah, I would nail those people oh, in, in the face with a ball. Was, I, I tweeted something about this. I said I can barely, if I'm golfing and I'll, let's say it's on the first T box, and the group ahead of, you know, group behind us is there and they're, you know, they're early or whatever. If they're just watching me, I like I get so nervous. I almost mm-hmm. vomit on the T box. How do, I don't know how these guys do it with thousands and it. thousands of people watching them, you know, in person, let alone on TV. But mm-hmm. just to have that audience, and uh, I mean, that's why they're that's why they're professionals, I guess. But when you would think once in a while, one of them would shank one right into just the gallery, top it off the tee, or you know, something. like anything yeah. could happen. Right. You know, bird could fly into your head or something. Right? It hardly seems worth it. To, they let people line up there. That, yeah, it's, you know. it's unbelievable. Yeah, but yeah, how do they never hit a bad? Like they hit bad shots, but they never duff a shot off a tee. At least mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever seen one. You know, it's just uh, on eleven. They're not when quite I was like there. you and I. Yeah, Ricky Fowler was pitching just um, you know, probably like six feet from the green, and he, you know, it's tall grass there, so he did get under it, and it went like one foot. And then dribbled. Really? That was the only shot I saw that was, like, remotely terrible. Yeah. doesn't happen often, but mm-hmm. when it does, it makes me feel better about myself. Absolutely. <laughs> Whenever <laughs> I see a guy hit going to the trees or something, I'm like, yes. Yeah. There's hope for me. I could have done that. One thing that they have going for them is, you know, they've got – there's so many structures that are set up there. Like, right. I saw Bleachers one. Bleachers and stuff. Yeah, where it was, like, it was way out of bounds. And the one with this marshal, too, if he hadn't been there and the gallery hadn't been there, like, it would have probably, you know, like, bounced and gone into the other hole. Yeah. So. They get bailed out with uh, yeah. the obstacles, that's true. That's you know. True. Like, um, and if you go over like a green and there's a grandstand there, yeah, yeah. Who knows how far? Who was it? Been. It might have been Snedeker. I can't remember. I, I remember reading something about one of the guys hit his ball right by uh, one of the bathrooms or something, and the, <laughs> the TV commentator made a joke that he could relieve himself while he's there. And mm-hmm. I don't know if he did or not, but you know, <laughs> it's it's a nice perk to have those mm-hmm. bathrooms on the course, I guess. But but yeah, if I mean. 
if you've never been to a Ryder Cup or never been to a golf event uh, and you somehow are able to go four years from now, it's actually in Wisconsin at Whistling Straits. Yep. Uh, so in the Sheboygan, um, you know, if you have the chance to go over, I, I'd highly recommend it. Uh, you know, tickets aren't terribly cheap, but you know, they're for a, for an experience like that, I would say it's worth it. Yeah, for a once every two year event, right? Um, or four years in the U.S. I mean, yeah, uh, good point. Um, it's that's really not terrible. Um, for a you know, for what most for what for most people is going to be you know, probably a once in a lifetime experience. So. Right. Yeah, I would definitely recommend it. I believe it's in France in yes. Europe next. Yep, two years from now. But, uh, yeah, uh, the merchandise tent was cool. I think you said you <laughs> – I forget. Did you get anything there? No. No. You didn't. I was going to get a hat. We went in there on you – know, I was there on Sunday. We right. went in there later in the day, and there literally like weren't any hats oh, on the Oh, they're pretty picked over. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it was – um, it was a full department store. It was a 49,000 square foot <laughs> temporary structure that they built for 10 days to, to you know, sell stuff to the fans, and apparently they sold stuff out. I couldn't believe all the buildings that yeah. were set up. I mean, it was like a Corporate whole town. Tents, yeah. yeah, yeah, the hospitality tents and that international pavilion right. and the broadcasting studio, media center. Right. Um, you know, I was... Uh, we were in a... Co- we got into the international pavilion, and there was another area we were able to get into, and... You know the bathrooms were like nicer than my house, you know, and it's just like a temporary the porta potty thing. Yeah, right? mm-hmm. I know exactly what you're talking about. I, yeah. I use those too, but mm-hmm. yeah, I mean it, that was part of what I was saying with seeing the progression of the course, like how quickly some of that stuff went up too. Like we'd go one week, and then the next week there'd be, you know, a building would be completed. I'd be like, holy cow, how'd that happen? But mm-hmm. yeah, to think of how much work goes into it for really three days of competition. You know, they had the practice rounds and all that stuff too, but. You know, pretty much a year of actual building and even more than that of planning for a week. So, um, do, do you know, like, are um, team like, are they even, like, going to open again? Cause, like, all, it's, they, they are open okay. again, though. Yeah, I want to say I, I follow their superintendent on Twitter. Chris Tritabaugh is his name. Let me let me give his Twitter a shout-out here quick because he's a, a pretty interesting follow. Uh, we, we did some interviews with him when we, our company was out there uh ct underscore turf uh so he had some pretty cool insight actually leading up to the event and and during it too i think it was like his sister was doing some tweeting for him during the event because he was obviously busy but uh just a lot of information on how they got the course ready and and some of it's a little technical for me in terms of you know what seed they use or how they do this and that with the Mm -hmm. grass and all that i just want him to come over and fix my lawn because my lawn is a disaster (laughs) but uh but uh, yeah he so chris tradeba and his team um you know the work they did was uh pretty amazing because like some of those areas you know where they let um pedestrians walk you know where the pro golfers of course we're never going to hit it but where i certainly would right you know i didn't know if those would even come back this year you know right. to r- normal yeah i mean i don't know you know there's probably some areas that are trampled down and stuff mm-hmm. but you know in general the, the actual course itself is probably fine because not many people probably use it and actually on it, yeah the, one of the interesting things is i think so they closed the course three weeks before the, the Ryder Cup to members, so nobody could play on it for three weeks. Okay. But even before that, maybe for a month or so before that, uh, you had to hit off a mat if you were on the fairway. Oh. So if you you know your tee shot lands on the fairway, which mine never does, mm-hmm. you then have to pick it up in those little like turf mats that they put on there to preserve the fairway. So, you know, I think the the members from you know from what Chris Tritabaugh was saying, that the members understand that it's all about having this big event there, and they're willing to you know sacrifice a little to to make that happen so sure. you know it was even the members chipped in and, and did their part to help keep the course uh pristine and it was uh, it was beautiful it was worth it yeah it's a tr- my first time ever going out there i was in the clubhouse once for a private event but 
Um, Ooh, my first fancy. time ever, to, yeah, <laughs> corporate party was really cool. Um, my first time ever walking the course, and mm-hmm. you know, growing up here, obviously you always you know hear about Hazeltine, so it was right. it was cool just to be out there. You know, as kind of dumb and corny as that sounds, it's no, just a golf course, dumb. but um, yeah, it was, it was very, you know, everything about it was you know it was just cool to experience. It's not quite like what's the course we play Hiawatha. In Minneapolis, yeah, a little different. A little different. Theo Worth, Theo Worth, and yeah, Les Bolstad. Mm-hmm. Those don't quite hold a candle to Hazeltine. So, like, what's yeah. now? For, well, the I think the fourth major or fourth, I shouldn't say major because the Ryder Cup's not a major, but it, U.S. Open way back in the day, mm-hmm. and then two PGA Championships, no two and no nine. Yep. So, gotta wonder if uh, you know, obviously the Ryder Cup probably won't be back here in our lifetime, I would guess, but mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure maybe in the next twenty years or so they'll hold another major. I would sure think so. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it certainly can, uh, I don't play a lot of, you know, golf courses of that caliber, so I can't really compare it to anything around the country, but it seems like it, you know, can hold its own with anything out there. Right. Well, yeah, that's, uh, I guess that's our two cents on the Ryder Cup. So if, if you had, uh, if you went out to the Ryder Cup and uh, you enjoyed it or didn't enjoy it, let us know and tweet us at T3 Sports. Uh, I'm uh, on Twitter. You can find me at Tyler Mason 21. Todd is at word of Todd. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to quickly, we don't have to spend too much time on this, but uh, quickly give an ode to Kevin Garnett. Uh, he didn't die, but he did retire uh, from the national basketball association after a long, long time in the league. Uh, the only reason I really wanted to spend at least a few minutes on it, because he is my, I would probably say my all time favorite athlete. Um, I grew up idolizing him i played basketball not well and not at a high level by any means but i always tried to wear number 21 if i could i had his shoes i had a shirt you know kevin garnett shirt all that stuff I even wore the rubber bands around his wrist like he used oh, to do yeah. remember that mm-hmm. he would and then he would get mad at himself and he would snap the rubber band mm-hmm. i didn't do that very much but uh so yeah just uh kind of weird to see him retire you know it's seems like it's maybe a couple years overdue because he didn't really do much uh particularly last year but uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm curious to get your take on how you viewed Kevin Garnett. Uh, you know, you're a Wolves fan as well, but also a Bulls fan too. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, growing up, where did he rank on the list of, of athletes for you? You know, I was um, still not. I, I was never a huge uh, basketball fan. Um, obviously, you know, I, I watched him play. Um, so I, I wouldn't say he was, um, you know, one of my top favorite athletes growing up. Um but in terms of locally here, he was as good as it got. I mean, mm-hmm. I always enjoyed uh, going to games and, you know, seeing his pregame routine and, you know, how passionate he was with the fans and also how much he really seemed to enjoy playing here right. on, a, on a team that's always notorious for having trouble attracting Big uh, time players. free agents and yeah, and he he really enjoyed um, playing in Minnesota, and obviously he was he was an MVP. He was one of the very best in the game. He's going to be in the Hall of Fame. First ballot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had a poster of him. Um, I mean, if you were, you know, our age when he was in his prime, he was he was all there was. He was mm-hmm. he was and still is Timberwolves basketball. I mean. Carl Anthony Towns, Andrew Wiggins, maybe slowly becoming the new faces of that franchise. But even when he was with the Celtics, he still was Timberwolves basketball. Like there mm-hmm. was nobody else that. I mean, I'm looking around the room right now. I, I thought I might have in my man cave here some KG stuff. I don't, yeah. but uh, you know, I see this Timberwolves stuff though, and still the first thing I think of is Kevin Garnett. You know, right. even the old logo because he was there for his rookie year with the uh, 
the old branding. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm trying to recreate my wall in my room now in my mind. I had for sure at least one poster of his, maybe two. I had like a couple playing cards that I put up on the wall. I had some other like maybe a, a page I tore out of a magazine, I think, of mm-hmm. you know like Slam magazine or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just I was obsessed. I guess you could say that's that's fair to say. I had at least two jerseys. Actually, hold on. I see a Kevin Garnett pennant under on the floor over there. Uh, I know our oh, yeah. lovely listeners can't see it, but there is a Kevin <laughs> Garnett pennant in the room we're, we're in right now. I might have mm-hmm. had two actually, but that is a bobblehead, I think. Oh yeah. Um, and yeah, I was always well, um, a friend of a friend of mine from high school. Um, his dad was a a surgeon and he got to fill in as a uh, team doctor for a Lynx game. And so, uh, afterward we got to go back in the locker room oh, nice. and, um, saw his locker there and he had a note hanging in there that he hand wrote and it said, stay out of my locker. And then KG <laughs> underneath. <laughs> really? I was like, that's, that's awesome. Like, I just want to have that. <laughs> like, I just want that's that fantastic. note that he wrote. Like, that'd be so cool. Yeah. I touched his shoulder once when I was a kid. Like he, the one thing I'll say, like the only, the only negative I would say about him is like, he was not, necessarily the most outwardly like fan Mm -hmm. interactive which you know i get he was a big superstar and all that stuff but you know i never really saw him signing autographs uh you know he could be prickly with the media at times uh, even till his final year here so the time that i touched his shoulder i you know i i don't know how old i was 12 Mm -hmm. or 13 something like that it was like the coolest thing ever you know Mm -hmm. so but uh yeah it's it's gonna be weird you know but good for him he had one heck of a career so he can ride off into the sunset he got his championship Yep. You know, get his Hall of Fame here pretty soon. I don't know what the NBA waiting period is for that, but yeah, whenever he's eligible, he's in. Mm-hmm. I um, one thing we never really realized, I think, maybe because we were kids, is like you didn't really realize like what a like kind of dirty player he was, and right. like you know, how much he right. swore on the court oh, and stuff. Yeah. Like you know, kind of had a different Dropped impression a couple of MFers of him. in his day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, he could he could be uh, he could be one of the nastiest ones out right. there. Oh yeah, well he had a reputation for being one of the best trash talkers too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, you have to admire his intensity and the just oh, his yeah. work ethic. You know, you hear stories about he was always first one in the gym, last one out. Even uh, you know, even at his older age. So yeah, I'm hoping that he some of the work ethic that he had, uh, even in his last year with the Wolves, will rub off on Carl Anthony Towns and uh, you know Zach Levine and Andrew Wiggins and those guys. And I think it seemed like Towns kind of you know he took him under his wing a little bit. I, I remembered. I think it was Towns actually on Instagram maybe had a post about, you know, saying congrats on your retirement. And like, I got this from here or something along those lines, which was pretty, pretty awesome for a, you know, yeah. kid of his age too. Yeah. That was, yeah. Anything, you know, that they were able to, to pick up uh, from Kevin Garnett, you know, is, is hugely valuable and, and definitely makes it worth, you know, having him around for the last couple of years, even though on the court, really not yeah, much right. of a factor. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll get more into Wolves stuff because I'm I'm actually pretty excited for this Wolves season. I don't know about you. They should be, yeah, they should be at, at the very least um, in a lot of games and fun to watch. Um, you know, uh, Towns is Towns. I think he's you know a bona fide star already. Yep. Uh, and uh, Dw- Wiggins' development is going to be key to how right. far they can go. I think. I agree. Yeah, mm-hmm. I still don't know what to expect from Chris Dunn too. Their their first round pick this year. You know, I think he could could be pretty good but i just i'm curious to see how that point guard dynamic is going to play out with him and rubio but yeah that's gonna be very interesting to watch and um how teams are continuing to you know not be afraid of um rubio's shooting and how they're able to play him and how that changes the offense because you know if teams aren't scared of him and they can um 
you know, they can play him that way. It's it's going to change what they're trying to do. So right. uh, it'll be interesting to see how Tibbs handles that. Yeah, and yeah, Tibbs. I didn't even mention that they have a brand new head coach too. Mm-hmm. So uh, kind My of a lot, lot to be. Yeah, Todd's a big Tibbs guy. Mm-hmm. Very fortunate for for the Timberwolves. That's I think he's the best there is. Yeah, Bulls are management are idiots. <laughs> In your unbiased opinions. Yeah, but yeah. We'll see what what uh, he brings to this franchise too. It's it's an exciting time to be a Wolves fan. If you know, if I'm being honest. Uh, he got back-to-back rookie of the years. He got another guy who, you know, if he has a good year, has a chance for rookie of the year in, in Chris Dunn. Um, you know, you got Zach Levine and, and what he's been able to do in his progression. Uh, no peck this year, so I guess that's nope. addition by subtraction. <laughs> I, guess, I don't know. <laughs> Corgi Jang is, you know, kind of coming to his own a little bit. So there's there's some things to be excited about for t- the Timberwolves basketball team, and that's uh, you can't say that too often in the last, I don't know, decade. Got some uh, renovations on the arena coming, so go, that'll yeah. be that'll be good as new. That thing really needs Which I'm it. still worried about. It's just going to be lipstick on a pig, but yeah. I don't know. I mean, that, the, the, that's the, a whole other story. The but. biggest problems of it are the hardest to fix, right. you know, the width of the concourses, the amount of bathrooms, right. and the in and out of that place. Yeah. I don't know, new scoreboard, they desperately needed that. They got that. I'm not even sure mm-hmm. what else is going to be done for this year in terms of the renovations. But I, I think they're doing something to the exterior, um, and I, I assume that they're going to try and you know widen the concourse as much as they can or you know improve the, the entrance and exit. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's a pain. Yeah. It's a pain right now. I'll see it on Sunday. I'm going to be covering the Lynx game in a game one of the WMA finals. So oh, they're going I, I back believe, to the Target Center? Well, you know what? I should probably figure that out before <laughs> I drive wherever I'm going. I, I thought they were back. I thought they just had a couple games at the X, but maybe it is the entirety of the postseason. I'm not sure. Because it was. Hold on. Let me. I got to look this up now. Yeah, let's, let's gonna... double check that for the listeners. Um, Lynx. Because I know it was, um, you know, it was just a, a conflict with Cirque du Soleil. Oh, really? Okay. Um, but I. Th- I don't know. I guess I was under the impression that the whole postseason was there, but I could be totally uh, off base on that. Central. Here we go. And some slow internet. It does say Target Center. Okay. So, yeah. I guess I just kind of maybe that I just assumed in my mind that like they'll they'll just do the whole thing there. No, I yeah I thought it was but, just a, a temporary thing. But okay. So I can report back on Sunday and uh, see what the if other than the scoreboard if there's anything really of note at this point i'm not sure but. yeah i don't know what else they've done i think a lot of it is still to come yeah um because the links of course are playing at excel all next year oh is that the case okay yep. so it must be the bulk of it it'll be next, I think off next season summer then. okay yeah all right because mm-hmm. well. at first that was like when they announced they're going to play this playoff series at excel i was like well they're certainly not doing the renovations now because the wolves are going to start in a couple of weeks but it was yeah. just for the that was just a arena thing. conflict okay mm-hmm. that makes more sense yep well, uh, as we do at the end of every show, as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, uh, we do our T3 top three list, uh, our top three things of any given uh, choosing, or any given list that we choose. Uh, this week's is top three concerts that we wish we could have attended, uh, that we had the chance to or, you know, theoretically could have been to, but we didn't uh, didn't get to go. Um, so I can I can start off. Kick it off? Sure. Yeah. Number three for me, it was pretty recent, actually, uh, just a couple months ago. It was Grace Potter at the Minnesota Zoo, mm-hmm. uh, which I, is a venue I've never been to before. And she's, as of right now, one of my favorite uh, musicians to listen to. Just a fantastic voice. Uh, I had tickets. My wife and I were going to go. And then I actually had a, a business trip that I had to go to New York. So it's not like I just skipped out on it. But uh, I ended up not being able to go. And your wife and my wife actually went to it and yep. had a good time. Uh, so that was one that I was bummed I, I didn't get to see because I'm a big fan of hers and uh, would have been a cool, cool opportunity, but just didn't work out. So that's my number three. 
Well, mine uh, isn't going to mean anything to anybody, um, but I'll just explain it anyway. Um, it's a band from Wales called uh, Manic Street Preachers, and um, they were um, playing at the Varsity Theater, um, and they have they have hardly any presence in the U.S. They're very big. Sorry, I wanted to get the, that can open. That was a good sound, yeah. yeah. Um, they're very big in the UK. They've been around for a long time, but they, they've hardly toured in the US and they were playing a show. And like is always the case, no one's heard of the bands that I like. So I was like, well, do I want to go by hold myself? On, hold on, hold on. Don't open that yet. Okay. Um, which I've done myself. I've gone myself before, but this time I just decided not to and regretted it immediately. Where was, and where were they playing? Varsity Theater. Oh, Varsity. Okay. And well, I've been there once. It's a cool, it's really it's cool. A cool spot. Yeah. yeah. It's a really good venue. Um, and I don't think that the Manics are ever going to come back. So Yeah, bummer. Yep. Okay, hold on. Before we continue, we're going to get more sound effects here for our, our button bar. This okay. is a spotted cow in a can. Uh, you can now get it in a can. So here's what it sounds like up close. That was cool. Yeah, that was nice. Neat. Can't wait okay. to listen back to that. <laughs> it's people's reward for getting to the 53-minute point of the podcast just put here. that in the description that yeah. that's what this is <laughs> wait for f- the 53 minute mark for the yep. big surprise mm-hmm. yeah uh my number two is uh she was this is also not that long ago adele uh oh, I'm not, okay. i'll be honest i'm not the you know i don't listen to adele that often but she's such a you know a once in a lifetime generate once in a generation kind of talent in terms of her her voice and everything and just uh, you know kind of the star that she is and she was just at the xl energy center I don't know, I want to say maybe three months ago, something like that. Sounds right, yeah. And my wife loves Adele. For whatever reason, I just didn't really look into tickets. I think I just assumed that they, you know, I didn't even try when they went on sale. I just assumed that they were going to be you know, gone in an instant. And mm-hmm. I think there are probably some on the secondary market that might not have been terribly priced. And for whatever reason, I just kind of just let it go. And I never, never really uh, tried to get any. And uh, I wish I would have. You know, I'm sure she'll probably be back at some point, maybe yeah. in a couple of years. But uh you know still still bummed that i uh forgot to or didn't forget i just didn't really do anything to try to to go see her i just read a thing that the british people voted and they said that um someone like you is the third most like popular british song in history really yeah like behind like stairway to heaven and bohemian rhapsody so the beatles is that any beatles beat the beatles yeah Uh, that was a trivia question at uh trivia uh, iron door pub on tuesday nights ask for jeff Ask, yeah, um, ask for Jeff. Do ask for Jeff. So my number two is I was at uh, Coachella Valley Music and Arts Festival in 2013. Oh, good for me. I don't know if that's – I think that's the first time I've ever heard the full name of it before. Yeah. I, you know, not everyone <laughs> might know what it is, so I wanted to get the full name out there. Um, and, you know, if you've ever been to a festival or, you know, you can imagine that there's overlap. There's multiple stages, right. so you can't see everybody at once. And um, the, the one from that show that I really wish – um, that we had made a priority was Wu Tang Clan, really? Because um, I'm I'm never gonna go see Wu Tang here, <laughs> you know. That's just not gonna. I should know you're a big Wu Tang Clan guy. Oh yeah, really? Oh yeah, uh-huh. big time. Um, and I don't even remember who we went to see instead. It would probably be embarrassing if I could remember because it it wouldn't be anywhere it's not close. Cool Wu Tang Clan, right? Um, it was like Stone Roses or something, but. Um, yeah, I really wish that we'd gone over to see Wu Tang set. I mean, I you know I don't have a ton of their albums. You know, it's not like I grew up listening to it, but um, definitely one of my favorite hip hop groups. Well, all right, I had no idea you were such a big Wu Tang guy. My number one, 
it's two of my favorite bands of all time. My probably my number one and number two, and the order changes all the time. But I want to say it was maybe 2007 or something like that. 2007, 2008. No, sorry, 2000. I'm thinking college. When I was in high school, I think it was maybe my senior year or junior year, 2003, 2004, somewhere in there. The Foo Fighters and the Red Hot Chili Peppers toured together. I don't know if you remember oh, wow. that. I don't remember that. I wow. so at the time, you know, I was a, a, a huge Chili Peppers guy, and I at the time I regretted just not going because it was the Chili Peppers. But over the years, I've become more and more of a Foo Fighters fan than I was back then. And just to think now, like how epic is that that the Foo Fighters and the Chili Peppers on the same ticket? You know, like that's never going to happen again for just a concert at, on a tour. You know, maybe at some type of festival. But even then, yeah. I mean, they're both big enough to be a headliner for anything in the world. So to see Dave Grohl and Anthony Kiedis in one night, I mean, that's... That's a heck of a oh show. I had no I, idea they toured together. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to look that up, actually, now while you're... Uh, let's see. Foo. Yeah, I'm curious. Fighters. Red. Hot. They've, chi- they've, we go. they've toured with a lot of... Californication tours. Awesome is that bands. it? That must be it. No, nah, it had to be more oh. recent than that. That would have to be like... What year was that? Oh, nine. Okay, no, that's not accurate. Yeah. Well, opening acts, but this this was way back in 2000. I'm, I'm thinking of something different, though. That Foo Fighters did open for them on that tour, but uh, it was more recent than that that they that they to toured be. together. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, just that would have just been an unbelievable, uh, unbelievable experience. But mm-hmm. I will say I'm super pumped to see the Chili Peppers in January with another huge opener. Trombone Shorty was another one of my favorites too. So that's going to be, in terms of opening acts, that'll I think that'll be. I know you're a big Rise Against guy, and I saw them mm-hmm. when the first time I saw the Foo Fighters, uh, Rise Against open for them. But this will be by far my favorite opening act that I've ever seen. Slightly better than the Mars Volta. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Did we just if we discussed opening bands in the top three before? I don't think we be have. A, no, that'd be a good one. Either yeah, I can't remember enough. Like, yeah, I can't remember enough of the opening like. Mars Volta, I think something called The Music opened for Incubus, which I think we were both of that show. I loved The Music at I don't the time. know. I'd never heard of them before. I actually, at, at, by the time I went to that show, I was more into The Music than Incubus. Really? Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. They're not yeah. around anymore. Really? Yeah. Um, all right. So my number one, um, and I suppose technically I couldn't really go to this, but I'm still going to count it. Um, I was in, I was living in San Diego at the time, and the... Um, the Democratic National Convention or the Republican National Republican National Convention was in St. Paul. Yes. And um, Rage Against the Machine reunited and played a concert at Target Center. That's right. And, you know, that's something that's almost certainly never going to happen again. Right. My friend Kyle got to go. Oh, did he? Um, and I was in you know California, so I, of course, couldn't go. But I would love to see yeah. Rage Against the Machine. I saw Audio Slave. Oh, there you go. Um, close. I saw three quarters of it, but <laughs> um, yeah, that had to just be an incredible show. Everything, you know, everyone I've ever met that was there, you know, just says it was just incredible, and their energy was unbelievable, and the crowd was so into it, and you know, people probably came out with bruises from that show oh, for yeah, sure. sure. Mm-hmm. So that's number one. Uh, probably not going to get that chance again. Well, you never know, but uh, I think the moral of the story. Be like my buddy Nate Sandell and go to as many concerts as you can. Mm-hmm. Uh, my friend Nate, uh, he's probably not listening at this point, but if you are Nate, what's up? The guy literally goes to concerts maybe three days a week, four days a week. It's unbelievable. Bands that I've never heard of, maybe some bands that he's never heard of, but you know, 
it's just a reminder that live music is pretty fun. So mm-hmm. uh, at any rate, yeah, this is a good list. Uh, kind of makes me sad a little bit thinking of the ones we yeah. missed out on. But yeah, got some regret uh, going. Taylor Swift was an honorable mention for me, but we were in Europe <laughs> the last time she was here, so I couldn't go to it. But you know, I mean, I could have not gone to Europe and, and seen her instead. So I'll catch her next time, maybe. You got to see Beyonce. That's true. Yeah, we saw we saw Beyonce. It was pretty fun. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. Other you know other other ones is you know, like I could say like U two in nineteen ninety seven, but like I was nine, so right. I realistic was wasn't gonna go there. Wait, so. you were nine in ninety seven? Um, oh, you would have been eleven. Oh yeah, eleven. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Um, and Pink Floyd in nineteen eighty nine. Yeah, that one would have been old. Mm-hmm. You probably wouldn't remember much of that one. Yeah, because so. you'd have been too stoned. <laughs> Clearly, that's, that was me as a toddler yep, right there. Yep. Story of your life. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, that, that'll do it for us here on the T3 Sports Podcast. We appreciate everybody that tuned in. If you want to suggest a T3 top three list or just have any general questions, comments, uh, criticisms, you want to tell us how awesome we are, how much we suck, uh, you know, we'll take any of that. Yeah, at T3 Sports on Twitter. Again, Todd on Twitter is at Word of Todd. I am at Tyler Mason 21. Thanks, everybody, and have a great uh, rest of the week and a great weekend. Sharing